Tutwiler, Mississippi is a tiny, now mostly abandoned town in the central Mississippi Delta. Arguably, she played a significant role in the cultural and economic development of the American century. Because Tutwiler, Mississippi is where blues music was born. So why is it today the town that America forgot? Stay tuned and we'll explain on Blues Alley. Episode 1, Tutwiler. If you ever get the chance, go to Tutwiler, Mississippi. The birthplace of the blues has a gravity all its own. It's a mecca for American music. It's not well known, yet there's almost always someone there, a lone figure treading the footsteps of music history. And based on stories from residents, occasionally that figure will be an international rock star, trying to soak up some of the Tutwiler mojo for themselves. In Tutwiler, it makes sense. Standing at the corner of Hancock Street in what is now Blues Alley, you get a very real sense of the town's past, followed by a sinking ennui for the temporary nature of the American character. Tutwiler's proof that Americans treat everything that's not at the moment generating a visible profit as disposable. Because today, the town that gave America its first authentic form of music is a fossil of its former self. And like all fossils, you can still see the impression of what the place was like 75 or 100 years ago, when business was booming. Still there today, among signs warning that the brick building facades could collapse under the sidewalk at any moment, are the remains of a diner, a bank, a barbershop, a funeral home, a night spot. And like most small towns of a century ago, there was a railroad station. All that's left of Tutwiler Station today is a concrete platform. The wooden structure burned in the 70s, and the station master's house was torn down soon after. But in its heyday, the depot would have been the daily link between this modest Delta town and Memphis, the nearest big city 90 miles to the north. Everybody in the region went to Memphis. You had to. In those days, if you wanted to see the latest fashions, customs, or products, or hear the latest music, you couldn't download it or even go to the store and buy a copy. You had to go where it was. A century ago, people viewed the railroad much the way we view the internet today. It was a lifeline to the outside world. There were no cars, no internet, no TV, not even radio until the mid-twenties. Without the railroad, the size of the accessible world and access to innovation and culture diminished exponentially. Now, it's hard to fathom today in our world of 24-7 movies, music, and TV, but at the dawn of the 20th century, no one had yet gotten around to making American culture into a commodity. Today, the export of U.S. culture, including movies, music, TV, books, even video games, is big business, second only to our export of aerospace and revenue generated in foodstuffs and units sold. Revenue from copyrighted material contributes more than a trillion dollars a year to the U.S. economy, accounting for more than 6.5% of the national GDP. But none of that was true in 1903 when events unfolded in Tutwiler. If you think about it, it makes sense. 
we'd spent the 18th century fighting a revolution, the 19th century building industry and a nation, then fighting a civil war to hold that union together in an attempt to guarantee that our founding principles were available to everyone. Art and culture took a necessary back seat to basic survival. After the Civil War, though, the nation began to settle into a routine, as flawed as it was, riddled with Jim Crow segregation, reconstruction, corporate monopolies, and abuses of power. But there was an ironic silver lining to the damage inflicted by those original sins. A gift from the dark side, if you will, that led to the birth of the first truly original form of American music and culture. Nature has a way of doing that. You push someone down over here, they rise up over there. And that appears to be exactly what happened with blues music. African-American oppression led to a unique form of American expression, in this case, music. And there's evidence to back this up. In 1893, the National Conservatory of Music in New York hired the legendary Czech composer Antonin Dvorak to help establish a new school of American composition. In one of his early press outings, Dvorak told Harper's Magazine that, in his opinion, a truly original American music could only emerge from the melodies of the African American or Native American communities. And Dvorak was an expert on the topic. The works that had made him world famous, up to that point anyway, were based on his native Czechoslovakian folk music. By the dawn of the 20th century, however, conditions for the rise of this authentic American music were ripening. The nation suddenly had time and money for more than just basic necessities. And it wasn't limited to just white communities. NAACP founder W.E.B. DuBose, with financial support from the likes of John D. Rockefeller, promoted the talented Tenth Concept, encouraging what he called the one in ten black men and women who had nurtured the ability to lead through education and cultural development. The idea was that those leaders would lift up the entire community and thus enact social change. And it was in this environment that a chance encounter changed the face of American music and culture forever. Because the train station that once stood near the intersection of Hancock Street and Tallahatchie Avenue in Tutwiler, Mississippi, is where a young composer named William Christopher Handy first heard the music that would lift him into that talented tenth and make him world famous. Music that would inspire everyone from George Gershwin and Irving Berlin to Elvis, the Beatles, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, and you can still hear it today in the music of Beyonce, Drake, Three Six Mafia, John Legend, and there's no end in sight. It's a musical foundation that would help spawn jazz, R&B, rock, rap, even some of the best symphonic music ever written, and the orchestral underscores for hundreds of movies. It's a music known worldwide today as the blues. Nobody knows exactly where the blues came from, nor when. Some historians date it to the late 1800s. There are press accounts of Ma Rainey singing blues as early as 1902 or 3. There were at least five songs that called themselves blues published between 1901 and 1912. A white Memphis schoolteacher named Geraldine Dobbins published a 12-bar rag in 1905. 
Yet early 20th century civil rights leader George W. Lee unequivocally stated that Beale Street is where the blues began. At the time, Beale was known across the nation as Main Street of Black America. It was a mashup of black and white, city and country, righteous and center, all located in Memphis, the city with the largest black population in the South. And Beale Street is certainly where the blues first began to come into its own as an art form. So G.W. Lee has a point, but it's not that simple. Because there's a difference between the blues and blues music. The blues is an emotional response, a feeling of existential angst. Thomas Jefferson wrote of having a deep melancholy he called the Blue Devils, a phrase dating back to Elizabethan England. Author Washington Irving may have been the first to call the feeling simply the blues in 1807. The blues as an emotion comes from everywhere and everyone. Blues music, on the other hand, is solely born of African-American culture as a response to centuries of exploitation. And it's important to understand that blues music is more than just a creative expression. It's also a form of therapy used to help overcome the emotional distress of feeling the blues. It's a way to release the sadness, a means of cleansing the soul. As a musical genre, blues is a grassroots coping mechanism. From a music theory perspective, the roots of blues can be traced to African call and response, European folk and gospel. You can even hear hints of ancient Hebrew scales. And in the era leading up to what we now think of as the blues, there was minstrelsy, music performed often by whites in blackface as a parody of slave culture. Ironically, minstrelsy and its ubiquitous dance, the cakewalk, began as blacks pretending to behave as they saw southern whites. And then there's ragtime, another original form of black music that predates blues by at least a decade. In fact, many early blues tunes were first published as rags. But it seems that ragtime, like the rest of 19th century American music, was based in the European major and minor scales. The use of blue notes in ragtime, that signature sound of the blues, didn't appear until after the first blues tunes became popular. So what actually did happen? Well, as with all great art, there has to be a genesis, a confluence of events that sets things in motion. And for blues, that happened at Tutwiler Station. But dubbing Tutwiler the birthplace of the blues is a bit of a misnomer. It's more like the place where a guy going about his business sees a pretty girl across a crowded room and knows instantly she's the one. And like everything else involved with the blues, there are legendary accounts of how this first meeting happened. In his autobiography, Father of the Blues, W.C. Handy tells the story of being stranded at Tutwiler Station, waiting for a train that was nine hours late. He was trying to sleep, but kept being awakened by what he later called the weirdest music he'd ever heard. He looked up to find what he described as, quote, a lean, loose-jointed Negro with ragged clothes, his toes poking out of his shoes, and a sadness of the ages on his face, banging out a tune on an old beater of a guitar. Intrigued, Handy approached the man and asked about the song he was playing. The guitarist explained that it was about the intersection of the East and Westbound Southern Railroad and the North and Southbound Yellow Dog Railroad in nearby Moorhead, Mississippi a place most people simply call The Crossroad. The song, you're listening to Handy's arrangement now, was called Goin' Where the Southern Cross the Dog. 
And though Handy had spent much of his time roaming the Mississippi Delta as a professional musician, nothing he'd ever encountered struck him like this. And as they waited on the train, the guitarist demonstrated how he got that moaning sound by sliding a knife across the strings, flattening and bending notes. The effect, as Handy later said, was unforgettable. And though he was intrigued by the tune, as a trained musician, Handy really didn't see the value in a song that repeated the same lyrics and melody over and over and over again. Eventually, the train arrived and the two men parted company. Now, this meeting took place sometime around the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries. An historic marker in Tutwiler places the meeting in 1895. In his autobiography, Father of the Blues, however, Handy claims it happened in 1903. And it's in Father of the Blues that Handy tells another story, one that helped him see the value of Delta music. The Handy Band, made up entirely of trained conservatory-style musicians, was playing a gig at the courthouse in Cleveland, Mississippi, and it wasn't going well. The Delta crowd really wasn't into the Sousa marches and Gilbert and Sullivan fair played by the popular bands at the time. At one point, the host asked if some of the locals could play a few songs. So while the legit musicians took a smoke break, a three-piece band led by a, quote, long-legged man named Prince McCoy straggled onto the bandstand and proceeded to make it rain. The crowd, which had been yawning all evening, began to shout and holler. They got up and danced, and more importantly, they began throwing money. When Handy saw the deluge of coins, he had an epiphany. A bunch of sharecroppers had just earned more in 15 minutes than his group of, quote, professionals had made the entire night. At that moment, as he would later claim, an American composer was born, deciding on the spot if he could marry this undomesticated music with his professional musicians, he'd have something really big something with mass appeal. And mass appeal would turn out to be the understatement of the 20th century. Whether or not Handy was aware of Dvorak's prediction, within a few days of that dance at the Cleveland Courthouse, he had orchestrated several of these local tunes, as he called them, for his nine-piece ensemble and began playing them at gigs. Backcountry African-American music was suddenly being requested at city gigs and, quote, respectable country club dances. And with that, a completely unique genre of American music was born. The handy genius wasn't in inventing the music. It was in seeing the potential of marrying the rough-hewn, emotionally raw music of the Mississippi Delta to the performance skill and musicianship of his professional musicians. Whether he meant to or not, William Christopher Handy had become the first to capitalize on the commercial potential of selling polished Delta music to white audiences, the first to truly implement Dvorak's prediction from 1893, and the first to establish African-American folk music as a national brand. Even so, it's doubtful that anyone at the time could have predicted the effect this extraordinary music would have on a nation and that nation on the world. How could anyone have anticipated that the blues would soon provide the soundtrack for the First World War, migrating to Europe and, in the process, becoming a global phenomenon? Or that it would co-mingle with ragtime, vaudeville, creole, and other popular music to spawn the Jazz Age, permanently changing American morals, political convictions, even fashion? 
How alongside another new art form, the motion picture, blues would provide a musical score and help give rise to the entertainment industry, at last turning U.S. culture into a global commodity, allowing the still young nation to break free from its British and Victorian era heritage and become an artistic force in its own ride. It was a moment of destiny, the right people, in the right place, at the right time, waiting on a train in Tutwiler. Now, I've always wondered, what would we have missed if Handy wasn't listening that day, or had continued to sleep, or rushing to his destination had taken an earlier train? What if the guitarist had wanted to be left alone? Would their conversation have happened at all if they'd crossed paths in a big city train station, or was it the intimacy of a small town that fostered that comfort of strangers' familiarity? The question, of course, is rhetorical, because it did happen at Tutwiler Station. And more than a century removed, we can clearly see the impact of this chance meeting in a tiny Delta town. While the last century may have left Tutwiler behind, it's far past time we pay homage to the train station that once stood on a few hundred square feet of Mississippi Delta. And it's time we recognize the contribution of Handy for sparking a romance with that metaphoric girl across the room, creating a courtship that's still blossoming today. Now, if Tutwiler Station is where the romance started, the relationship kicked off in earnest with a political campaign song on the corner of Main Street and Madison Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee in 1909. And that's the story we'll explore next time on Blues Alley. Thank you for listening to American Entertainment Works Blues Alley. If you're able to support us, you can buy us a coffee on Kofi. It's not expensive, and you'll be helping us tell more stories about American culture. That's ko-fi.com slash American Entertainment Works, all one word. You'll find a link to our Kofi page in the episode notes. American Entertainment Works is a not-for-profit corporation located in Nashville, Tennessee, so your contributions are tax-deductible. The Blues Alley opening and closing themes were written by Uptown Al, as was this episode. Additional episode music was performed by The Cave Dwellers and A.E. Works recording artist Jim Holthauser. Bumper music was written and performed by Jonathan S. Anderson and Uptown Al. For a transcript and a list of sources for this episode, visit aeworks.org slash bluesalleysources. I'm your storyteller, Uptown Al. Thank you for listening to Blues Alley.